I found that with depression, one of the most important things you could realize is that you're not alone. Dwayne Johnson There are no trigger warnings for today's podcast. Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode five of Emetophobia Help. I'm Anna Christie, recovered emetophobic licensed psychotherapist specializing in emetophobia and your host for this podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about emetophobia and depression with my guest, Janelle Clark from Ohio. Hi, Janelle. Hi. How are you? I'm pretty good. That's good. Thank you so much for agreeing to come on and uh, tell your story and to help folks out who may either maybe have been diagnosed with both things or perhaps they have depression and it has not been diagnosed. So why don't we start by having you kind of tell your story of what it was like for you growing up and, you know, when your metaphobia started, things like that. I actually, it's funny you asked that because I was thinking about it the other day when exactly it possibly started. And I know my dad suffers from it because I can remember when I was little, even if it was like the dog or my brother and my, my brother has, um, cerebral palsy. It's very, very mild. I mean, he's very mobile and he just kind of has a limp when he walks, but he had all these medications he used to have to take when he was young. And so he would constantly be ill. Um, and my dad would completely leave the situation. He wouldn't even be there. My mom had to deal with all of it. And of course me being the big sister, I was always there too. And I think Mm -hmm. I kind of just drew from my dad. Um, I can't think of any situations when I was younger. I just knew that I really, really didn't like it. I didn't like when people talked about it. I didn't want to be near a situation where it was at. Um, I want to say after probably after grade school. I didn't, I was never ill that way for a very long time. Um, I didn't, I, I do, I don't drink because okay. number one, I don't like to drink a whole heck of a lot. Mm-hmm. I like wine, but I also suffer from migraines. And so that oh wow, as I've gotten older, it just, I didn't drink. Mm-hmm. And so I never went partying with my friends because I didn't want to have to be around people who would potentially be getting ill. So I just avoided that. Um, Then when I got married and had kids, that's when it got really, really bad because little kids are Petri dishes. So (laughs) (laughs) they can be for sure. Oh my gosh, they definitely are, especially after they start preschool. That was, that was a really, really hard time. They're older. I mean, they're much older now. They're 15 and 12. So I don't have to, I, I still get very nervous when uh, we hit winter time in school. I just don't like it. I, I prefer that, you know, everybody washes hands. Everybody's constant. I constantly clean the doorknobs just because, and I'm careful when I go out. And so, I mean, that's, that's about it. I guess I just, ideal, I guess is the best way to put it. And, and have you had any kind of, um, therapy to try to get over the emetophobia? Um, I'm on, I actually have a really good general practitioner because I talked to her and, um, cause I also have anxiety that goes with the depression. Um, and she put me on 
Wellbutrin, although I think it's the like generic version now. Um, yeah. And that did help. I have to admit that actually did help. I've never actually like sat down and talked with anybody, but okay. I've always had good, I have good support systems. Um, I have two friends that if I'm having problems, I can just send them. I'm not good right now. Can I talk to you? And even if it's only like a five minute conversation, that'll help. Um, my husband has been pretty good about this. There, there are sometimes I know he gets frustrated, but he's always been really, really supportive. Like when the kids were little and I was the one that cleaned, he took care of the kids because I couldn't. Right. And I, yeah. I, I think that's where the depression part comes in. Cause I felt horrible. Like I couldn't be a good mom, mom because I couldn't be right there with them. I remember being mm -hmm. proud once when like the whole household was hit and I was able to handle it because he had to go to the store just to, yeah, well, to get something for us. Right. Yeah. yeah, of course. That's a thing to be proud of. Um, I doubt I would have let my husband go to the store when I had little kids um, if, if they were sick or if, if we all were. But um, yeah, I know there's, I mean, I'm going to be doing a podcast, you know, about depression or I'm sorry, emetophobia and being a mom. And, you know, at that time, I'm pretty sure that whoever I'm interviewing is going to say that they felt terrible and that they were such a terrible mom. I went through that. Um, I, I just think, wow, you know, if you had like diabetes or cancer or something, or you, you were in a wheelchair and you couldn't, you know, rock climb or something like, you know, you wouldn't feel as bad, but when we have a mental illness, we, there's still that stereotype that somehow it's our fault and we could just stop it if we wanted to. Yeah. And so therefore we all, the only explanation for running away from your kids when they're sick is to be a terrible mom. Not, not that you're actually sick too. And you're sicker than they are really. Yeah. Because what you have is constant, you know? Uh, anyway, I just wanted to throw that in because it makes me so sad when people say I'm, I'm a terrible mom. You're, you're not a terrible mom. You know, you have an illness and that, you know, you can only do what you can, what you're capable of with that illness. So, well, I know there was a, I, I remember it visit, viv, bleh, sorry, vividly. Um, my youngest was playing with one of her friends and they were playing dolls or something. And her friend was pretending her her dolly was ill. And I remember hearing my, my youngest tell her, Oh no, we can't do that. My mommy doesn't like those kinds of words. And I felt right. bad. I was like, good. Oh yeah. Just like, wow. Yes. So, I mean, cause kids are sponges. They, and they see and hear everything. And I never thought about how much she would have, or they would have been picking, picking up as they were getting yeah. older. So. Right. And even if I know I have a lot of moms that I talk to that, that, act like they're okay and they actually can be with their kids but but our own children especially there's this bond between parents and children that they can sense when your cells are vibrating a certain way you know they know yeah. they know you're anxious even if you're faking it but it's great that you're faking it like don't get me wrong it's good to fake it fake it till you make it yeah, that's <laughs> what they say. I, I learned that from like jazz dancing, but it really does apply uh, in, in being a mom. 
Um, so tell me about the depression and when that started and what it was like. Um, I think to a certain degree, it was probably separate from the emetophobia initially. Um, it probably really started, I want to say after we got married and we were trying to have kids and, um, it wasn't happening. And I come from a very, very, very prolific family. My mom's the eldest of seven. So it kind of felt like I was failing at something that, you know, inherently women are supposed to be able to do. Um, so that, that took a big toll. That was when I went to my GP. My mom and both my husband were like, you need to see somebody. You need to talk to somebody about it. Because it was driving everything. It was driving like everything. That whole desire of wanting to have kids. Um, I, I, that I Maybe that sounds weird, but it was. It was just a really depressing thing for me that I couldn't do that. Oh, yeah. Um, that's, that's huge. I mean, yeah. That's when she put me on the Wellbutrin Mm -hmm. and it did help. I didn't notice it initially because I know you don't notice it yourself, but people around me started to notice I was being more and more like myself. And then um, we did end up being able to have kids and I've got two young ladies, but it kind of, it comes in cycles. I have good times and I have bad times. And like when they were little and relating it to the emetophobia again, when they would be sick or something, mm-hmm. it, it would just, it would make me feel horrible. And I, I, I don't know how else to describe it other than it just, even, even now, just sometimes there are some days that they're just bad days. And I'll just tell my husband today is just not a good day for me. So. Right. Yeah. And have you been on the Wellbutrin all the way along, like 15, 16 years or off and yes. on? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So that's something that has helped you quite a bit then. Yes. And something else she ended up putting me on at one point. Um, oh, shoot. Xanax. She put me on Xanax oh, yeah. at one point, but it's for emergencies. And yes. honestly, I cannot remember the last time I had to take it because I get horrible headaches from it. So I kind of have mm-hmm. to ask myself, is it worth the headache? Or can I really, is this something I can work through? And yeah. again, maybe that's a weird thing, but that's the drive of saying, okay, I need to work through this. I really don't want that headache because it turns into a migraine and I really don't want the migraine. So, Right. Yeah. Well, that's too bad too. Um, a, a lot of people, men and women, describe depression as being so debilitating, like um, such a complete lack of motivation, sometimes if it's bad enough to even get up or to definitely be motivated to really do the things in life that either you enjoy or that you that you want to do. Did you notice that kind of thing? Yes. Um, I'll use just this year in general as an example. Um, I, I found, and it's probably because it's COVID related or whatever, however you want to put it. I, I used to love to sew. I used to do a lot of like quilts and stuff and I burnt myself out on it. And right now, just the thought of having to do it, I just, it's not enjoyable to me. And I found when we first started going through all of this, that I just, I didn't want to do anything. 
there was nothing that I wanted to do, nothing that I enjoyed doing. I, I like, I'm a crafty person. So I like doing oh, cross stitching yeah. and needlework and sew, sewing and knitting. And I enjoy that stuff. And mm-hmm. my enjoyment just like, it's just, dis- it disappeared. And like you said, right. there was no motivation. Mm-hmm. And I don't think I've ever had a time where I couldn't get out of bed, but there were days where that's what I wanted to do. I just wanted to stay in bed, but I have two kids Mm -hmm. I have to take care of. So it wasn't about me. So I have to take Mm -hmm. care of the kids. So I drug myself regardless of how I was feeling to take Mm -hmm. care of the kids. Fake it till you make it. I guess is right. Like yeah, exactly. You make it exactly. Uh, not and not everyone can do that with depression. It, it does. It does go along a continuum of very severe. You know where people don't even want to live. They they just don't want to be alive. To a mild or moderate, where people are often described as lazy, when in fact they're not lazy. They're depressed, and. That's a really important thing. You know, if you have people telling you that you're lazy or you just can't be bothered doing your dishes or whatever, uh, it's probably not good that someone's attacking your character. Right. When in fact, it's it could be a mental illness. Depression and anxiety are very, very similar in the brain in that they have brain systems like wiring, you know, like your computer. But unlike a computer, your brain is like wet, it has hormones and chemicals running through it all the time. And those chemicals can become out of balance, which is sort of a simplistic way of describing it. Um, Serotonin, dopamine in particular, and your, your brain almost takes back the serotonin that it's supposed to be giving you. So that's why they're called reuptake inhibitors, because they're trying to inhibit that reuptake. I'm I'm demonstrating with my hand, folks, on a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I, gotta, I should just tie them behind my back or something. There's no point in that. Anyway, so um, serotonin reuptake in, inhibiting. Yeah, it, it's it's drawing back the serotonin that you need. So uh, these medications work extremely well, extremely well. If someone is suffering out there with depression um, and anxiety that is not just episodic, you know, once in a while, but all the time, then probably it's a chemical thing and you should not be ashamed Um or feel that you're a failure by taking a medication because these medications nowadays work great. They really, yes. really do work well. Um, there are so many of them to choose from and your doctor can, you know, you need your doctor or a psychiatrist, of course, to uh, assess which one is best for you, but they are life literally life-saving at times. I would agree yeah. with you on that. Did you ever have, suicidal thoughts? No, I don't think I ever got that far. And I, again, that probably comes back to having a really good support system in the sense that, um, my mom, my mom's side of the family, especially, um, we all live in the same area. We're all here in Ohio. Mm -hmm. Um, we see each other all the time. So uh, there we're always in each other's lives. So when something yeah. was, is wrong, I'm, my mom picks up on it or one of my aunts, which I'm really close with her sisters, my aunts, they'll pick up on it. And my husband's pretty good at picking up on it too. He'll, he'll even ask me, 
what is bothering you today? Right. I can tell right. something's not right. Or he'll ask me and I'll give the, you know, the generalization. I'm fine. He's like, no, you're not. No, you're not. <laughs> so yeah. I think maybe because of that, I never got to that point because they jumped on me before I even had a chance to get that low. Um, right. I do have a cousin who suffers from manic, uh, manic depression and, yeah, bipolar um, disorder. Yeah, uh, yes, has, yes. The bipolar yeah, disorder. And that cousin, now. that cousin hit rock bottom at one point. And so maybe having that there too, I saw how bad it got. Right. I never wanted to get that way. I never wanted to get that far with yeah. it. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think so that's got- probably one of the other reasons it never, I never got that far with it. Right. Well, and you know, it's a really bad double whammy from whatever you believe in God, karma, the universe, you know, whatever, um, that people have both anxiety and depression. But if you study the brain, you'll see there's very similar brain systems and brain chemicals. So, you know, um, it's, it's too bad. I, I find that very few um, of of the clients, people that I've talked to, or even online, thousands of people I've talked to with amenophobia have actually suicidal thoughts. They may have the thought, but they don't make any plans or anything like that because I think partly they're too afraid of, you know, well, what am I going to do? Can't take pills. They might make me sick. Um, you know, I've heard of people trying to shoot themselves and that doesn't work. And then they end up in a hospital. Don't want to be there. Um, but also, I, I just find that emetophobics um, do have a lot of courage and resilience in general. I really do. I find that. And um, so they they plow through. Well, yeah. I, think, I think maybe, too, they, we have to do that because most people in society, I know I've seen it in comments on Facebook and social media. Well, Well, nobody likes being sick. Well, yeah, nobody likes it, but for some of us right. out there, it's like a terrifying thing. Yeah. For for me, it's more, um, I don't want to be, I, I don't mind talking about it. Like, mm-hmm. I know we've been careful here with trigger, trigger words to the best right. of our ability. That I can do. I can talk about mm-hmm. it. Um, I don't want to be anywhere near it. I don't want to hear, like, television shows and movies. Right. I... Sometimes I have my husband screen movies. If I've heard that there's something in a movie, you need to let me oh, know yeah. when this happens because I don't want to see it. Right. So, and then, you know, being with kids and the youngest especially had has GERD. Um, and oh, so when yeah, she was a baby, oh my gosh, that was very, very hard. And then I had a best friend, my, my one best friend, her youngest daughter, her, her middle daughter, has extreme separation anxiety and it would be so bad that if her mom left for anything, she would be ill. And I couldn't babysit my friend's kids. I could. And thankfully my friend understood. I mean, she still understands. I just, I can't, I can't do it. Yeah. So I just, yeah, I, I'm trying to look up. I'm not, I'm trying not to be rude here. You're, no, you're the only fine. one who knows I'm being rude, but I'm looking up on Instagram and I found it actually on Instagram. 
there's an Instagrammer called Emetophobia Review, all one word, and she reviews movies for, uh, and that's why I was looking it up. So while I don't, I don't generally sort of condone avoidance behavior, but that's mainly if you're trying, you're on a plan to get better. If, if you're just, if you can't do therapy or you don't want to, or you're not, you're not on that journey, then the best thing is a metaphobia review. And um, you can look back and you can search and stuff. I think she might be on Facebook as well. Actually. I think I've heard so, of her. You've seen of her? Yeah. yeah. Well, it, it's well, great. And she'll tell you exactly what's, she'll either say safe, in which case it's fine, or not safe. Then she'll describe it and you can kind of go, oh, well, I could probably handle that. I, um, I, I mean, if it's something I really want to watch, I won't avoid it. I mean, I won't mm-hmm. not watch it. I'll just, okay, that scene's coming up. I'll just like turn my head and, you know, <laughs> hands over my yeah. ears, close my eyes and we oh, move past it and yeah. we get to see the rest I of know. it. Although sometimes there are scenes in play in things you don't know are going to happen and it happens. Right. And it's like, <sighs> please don't. <laughs> yeah, I'd really prefer not. <laughs> It's probably a whole different podcast talk about <laughs> movie triggers, right? Um, I mean, there's there's medication. There's also therapy um, for both depression and emetophobia. Depression, almost every therapist knows how to work with people to get through that and to go on. Um, and so that's a, a really helpful, especially if it's really bad and you you're stuck like in bed or you're neglecting your duties or you lost your job or you're having suicidal thoughts for heaven's sake, like get some help right away. Get There's lots of help out there. Emetophobia, often uh, we call it comorbidity, which means both things happen at the same time. Very common to be comorbid with depression. You can get the depression treated way easier than the emetophobia. Yeah. But who wants both? Nobody wants both, right? You don't want either of them. So um, it, there is a lot a lot of help out there. And you may have to sift through it. Because I know some people have tried. They've been like, I tried CBT. It didn't work for me. Well, maybe your CBT therapist didn't work for you. Maybe they didn't really know what they were doing. Maybe they you know, who knows? Like it's all about personality and clicking with that person too. So Mm -hmm. I know I went through 10 different therapists. This is back, you know, before 2000, um, trying to like from 1975 to 2000, I tried to find somebody to help me. And I went through 10 before I could found somebody. And even the person I found, he helped me a lot, but he didn't know anything about emetophobia, nothing. Um, I was the one who had to kind of figure it out and figure out this is what I should be doing. And and he was sort of my companion along the way, um, which is why I have a website now for other therapists that have, has everything on it. So you don't have to reinvent the wheel, but um, I'm not, um, I've never treated depression um, when I, since I became a therapist, this isn't something I've treated but I know there's a lot of good treatment for it. So, and medication. Yeah. A lot of people say, Oh, I don't want to take pills. I don't want to take medication. Well, if you had diabetes, you would take insulin immediately because yep. uh, something's wrong with your pancreas. If someone said, Oh, your liver, yeah, you've got this liver disease, you know, you got to take this medication or your heart, 
right? What if your heart, you're going to take medication, your blood pressure. But as soon as it's your brain, which is just another organ, just a different organ, suddenly people say, I don't want to take anything from my brain. You know, well, why not? You would take it for any other organ that had a problem. Your brain's got a problem. <laughs> you know, <laughs> consider taking the medication. And these meds you don't have to be on for the rest of your life. A lot of people um, go off them for a time. They go get some therapy and they work their way off them. Sometimes they don't need to go. They may need, let me put it a different way. You may need to go back on if you have a what's called a major depressive episode. So you're going along fine. Your depression's in the past. Then you get overwhelmed with something in life and you crash again. Yeah. Then you may need to go back on for a while, not forever. So, yeah. Well, you're a very courageous person to work your way through life with both these, um, you know, anxiety and and depressive disorder in in your brain. And that yet you've got kids. And do you work outside your home or you I stay at home? Don't actually. I'm a stay at home mom. Um, but Good they definitely. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we were lucky that we were able to do that. Um, True true yeah and uh, I actually the college degree I have I can't really do anything with here in Ohio not really not what I'd want to do so what's your um, college degree um invertebrate paleontology okay and they don't have any of those in no Ohio. not really Ohio's come to Canada man like come to Alberta so, oh yes yeah yes. there yeah out west and stuff um yeah but yeah, yeah so oh, and cool. yeah so it's That's kind of cool. like a useless degree, I guess is the best way well, to put it. But it's you know what? No education is useless. Education is always great. And it's a it's also a stepping stone if you wanted to do a master's or a doctorate in something. Yeah. Um sometimes some, you know, like I'm glad I had a an undergrad degree so that I could do a master's um and then get into psychotherapy, even though my undergrad degrees in religious studies and creative English. Like, oh, wow. <laughs> so you think that was, you know, creative writing. I do a lot of writing and blogging and writing a book, and I've published a couple of books already. But, you know, so that part's helpful. But, yeah, you learn how, you know, in your degree, you'd learn scientific method, how to oh, write yeah. a paper, how to do and how to make an argument, you know. So, hey, I'm podcasting on something else now. <laughs> I'm just we're just carrying ours on it. Stay in school, folks. Yes. Yeah. Anyway, well, you're a delightful person to talk to. Thank you so much for coming on the show, and um, and I think you'll be very inspirational to other people. And maybe we'll see each other online sometime. Okay. All right. Take care. Bye bye. If you have any thoughts of suicide. People are standing by who care about you and want to help you. In Canada, you can call 1-833-456-4566. In the USA, call 1-800-273-8255. And in the United Kingdom, call 116-123. In other countries, it's as simple as Googling suicide help. 
I'd like to thank my guest, Janelle Clark, and to all of you who are listening. We've had 900 podcast downloads so far, which I think is really great. If you'd like to make a donation of $2 to help with the cost, just go to my website at emetophobiahelp.org. Scroll down to the bottom of the homepage and you'll find a donate button there. My website also has a ton of information for emetophobics and a full resource section for other therapists. Next week, I'll be talking with Charlotte about online support groups, pros and cons. Until then, stay safe, wear a mask, and keep two meters or six feet away from other people. Wash your hands and please always be kind.